0: This is the Menasha Public Library Podcast. Community Conversation Story. Welcome to the Menasha Public Library Podcast. This past month, we've been talking about the memorial of Elisha Dickinson-Smith, and today is the final installment of that series. We will finish his memorial with funeral services and personal tributes. (music) The funeral services. How pure at heart and sound in head, with what divine affections bold, should be the man whose thought would hold an hour's communion with the dead, Tennyson. To live in hearts we leave behind is not to die. The funeral services for Mr. Smith occurred on Monday, July 10th. Such was the large place he occupied in the hearts of the people that on Saturday, by order of the mayor, the flag was placed at half-mast on the City Hall and Public Library. A large number of business houses were draped in black and white, and on Monday, all business was suspended from 10 to 12 o'clock during the hour of internment. Of the services, the Daily Northwestern of Oshkosh published the following. Menasha, Wisconsin, July 9th. The funeral of Honorable Elisha D. Smith this morning was the largest and most imposing of any ever taking place in this city and testified to the esteem in which he was held by everyone. The vicinity of the Congregational Church was filled with people long before the time set in which the body lay in state, which was between 8.30 and 10 o'clock. Thousands of people, including all the civic societies, city officials, and other citizens, filed by to get a last look at one who had become so dear to the people of Manasseh The funeral services were held at 10 o'clock. The casket was hidden by numerous floral offerings, including a beautiful figure of Gates Ajar, done in white immortalis, and a tier of yellow roses. The chancel was decorated with a large quantity of asparagus. Reverend A. E. Leonard, pastor of the deceased, began the services with a selection from the Scriptures, and Reverend S. T. Kiter of Ripon, a former pastor, offered prayer. After a solo, Nearer, my God, to thee, by Herman H. Powers of Oshkosh. Reverend Mr. Leonard spoke from the words, A faithful man who can find, extolling the faithfulness of the deceased in all affairs in life and the great benefit he had been to the community. Reverend Mr. Kiter delivered a few closing remarks, and Mr. Powers rendered, Hope in the Lord, set to the music of Handel's Largo. This closed the services and the remains of Mr. Smith were born to Oak Hill Cemetery. Accompanied by a long string of carriages. The pall bearers were Messrs. F. D. Lake, W. H. Minor, W. E. Elliott, L. J. Noble, A. D. Paul, and W. E. Bond of Chicago. Among those from abroad in attendance were Reverend and Mrs. H. A. Minor, Madison, Mr. and Mrs. George Borden, John Strange, Mrs. Robert McMillan, Oshkosh, Dr. Reeves, Miss Kate Reeves, A. D. Ball and W. S. Westcott Appleton. Of the procession in which the Catholic priests of the city and the various civic societies asked to be permitted to form a part, by reason of their regard for the memory of the deceased, the Menasha Breeze had the following. The procession was undoubtedly the longest ever known in this region. It extended fully a mile from end to end. About 1,000 men Four abreast were marching, and many hacks and carriages followed them. When the cortege entered the cemetery, hundreds of people had found their way there and were awaiting its arrival. Hearts that had love in them had lined the grave so that no earth was seen, and flowers and greens were all about it, taking away all disagreeable features. The casket was tenderly lowered, the final service said, and the sorrowing multitude dispersed with thoughtful faces. It may be said here that Mr. Smith was not a member of any of the fraternal or civic societies. He was simply a common citizen, a member for 42 years of the Congregational Church, closely identified, it is true, with the growth of his church and of his town. It will be seen that this wonderful outpouring of the people, crowding the streets, the long procession of hundreds in carriages and on foot, going before and following the casket to the cemetery, was no formal affair, such as sometimes occurs, but a spontaneous expression of the public heart. We want to testify to the love we bear our friend and benefactor, was the language of a multitude of hearts that day. Hence that wonderful heart gathering of all classes, the rich and the poor, without distinction, to look once more upon that friendly face and hear the last words spoken in his memory, was such as is rarely ever witnessed in any town or city. How the people loved him. What a testimony to the value of a life is such a heart ovation at its earthly closing. The Funeral Address by Rev. A. E. Leonard. The writer of Proverbs asks this question A faithful man who can find? A little thought on the subject reveals to us the fact that faithfulness includes four great qualities. The first is enthusiasm, or earnestness. The second is steadfastness, or constancy. Faithfulness also includes earnest care in the performance of small duties, as well as large ones. True faithfulness means living upon a high plane of life. Should the question asked by the writer of Proverbs be repeated to us here in Manasseh, I believe we could answer with almost no hesitation and with almost perfect certainty. A faithful man who can find? Yes, here is one. We have known at least one such, a faithful man, and we are glad to be able to testify of him. The life whose early career among us has so recently closed was marked preeminently by faithfulness. That life very plainly manifested the four qualities included in true faithfulness. Those who have known him well do not need to be told that he had the quality of faithfulness, which we called enthusiasm. He could never be accused of listlessness or half-support. He had that spirit which made his eyes brighten when a good cause was before his mind. Deep earnestness characterized his life. He was enthusiastic in the best sense. He has also proven his faithfulness by being steadfast. He was not a man who went into movements with enthusiasm for a few weeks or a few months and then grew indifferent and abandoned them. He was one who gave his support to a cause after careful deliberation and then stayed by it. He was just as true to his duties, so far as he was physically able, during the last month of his stay among us as he was 10 or 20 or 40 years ago. Here is one of the surest indications of his remarkable constancy. Whenever he was absent from the place where duty called him, which was but seldom... Everyone who knew him felt certain that his absence was caused not by some fickle freak of inclination, but by something which he could not prevent or by some higher duty. Everyone felt that there was a reason for his absence, which God himself would accept. And so, when a week ago yesterday, he was missed from his accustomed place in the church, we knew there was a reason for it, and we dreaded to express that reason. Multitudes can be aroused to zealous effort for a week. He was one of the few who settle into the earnest effort of a half a century. Under the impulse of some inspiring motive, a great throng may do a righteous, noble deed. He was one of the few who have lived a whole life of noble, righteous deeds. He was a steadfast man. And his faithfulness displayed in his earnest care in the performance of small duties as well as large ones, was a constant source of wonder. He was a man who carried large responsibilities, yet he seemed always to remember the small duties. Little ways of usefulness were not crowded out by his greater efforts. At the head of a great manufacturing interest, trustee of a college, member of a great national missionary board, trustee of a church, chairman of the state missionary committee, busy in building and equipping for his city a beautiful library building, carefully placing each year some thousands of dollars where it would do the most good in strengthening God's kingdom. He, nevertheless, had time and interest to stand by the church door yonder each Sunday morning and evening to give a cordial welcome to the stranger who would drop into church, time and interest to look with sympathy into the eyes of a troubled one, time and interest to inquire about a sick one and send some needed help, Time and interest to talk with the boy on the street about beginning the better life. The great duties were very well done, showing his fine ability. The little duties received his careful attention, proving his faithfulness. And we know that he possessed, beyond a doubt, the fourth quality which enters into true faithfulness. He lived upon a higher plane of life. No low purpose, no low motivation controlled him. He did not live upon a low plane where it is easy to be faithful, but on a high plane, where it is difficult to be faithful. About ten days ago, I heard him speak a few earnest, beautiful words to some persons in regard to what it means to live a Christian life. The spirit of what he said was very high and noble. I believe it was the same spirit by which he tried to guide his own life. He lived and worked for the best things. Deeply in earnest, steadfast through long years, careful of little duties, living upon a high and difficult plane of life, he was preeminently a faithful man. To know him and feel the inspiration of his life was a great privilege. Certainly, if any among us have a right to repeat Paul's words, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And now we all desire to do honor to his memory. How shall we accomplish it? The city is draped in mourning. The flags are at half-mast. Tears are in the eyes of very many. Thousands have spoken words of highest praise. Flowers have been brought in profusion. Multitudes will follow him to the grave and stand with bowed heads. And all of this comes from a genuine feeling of respect and love in the hearts of the people. But these things are not real honor. They are simply tokens, badges of honor. How then shall we bestow upon this brave, beautiful life the real honor which it deserves? The only way you and I can give this man real honor is to put into action, operation in our lives, the principles which made his life great. Do we wish to honor him with our great loving kindness and generosity? Then we must be kind and generous. Do we wish to honor him for his manly citizenship? Then let us try to make this city what we know he would like to have seen it. Do we wish to honor him for his earnest, consistent Christian manhood? Then let us try to be such men and such Christians as he tried to be. Personal Tributes What is excellent, as God lives, is permanent. Hearts are dust. Hearts' loves remain. Hearts' love will meet thee again from Reverend S.V.S. Fisher, a former pastor, now superintendent of Scandinavian Missions, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Looking upon the portrait which adorns the first page of the August number of our church life, I can but recall Mr. Smith in a position in which I saw him oftener, perhaps than in any other one, during eight pleasant years spent in close association with the Menasha Congregational Church. It was Mr. Smith's wont to stand near the door in church at both the morning and evening service, with a pleasant greeting, a smile, a handshake, for all who entered, especially for every newcomer. If anyone wishes to know how he looked at such times, he was only to gaze upon the portrait, that will tell. With some, quite likely, this occupation of a Sunday morning and evening would count as a very little thing, hardly worth a mention. A pastor cannot so regard it. Done once or twice a year, or occasionally only, you may find its place among trifles. But done regularly and continually, it ranks high as a contribution to a church's life. Not only for itself considered, however, do I recall it, though it is well worth mentioning, as it is well worth doing, and I heartily wish that every church had one. And more than one, prominent laymen who felt inwardly moved to the self same service. But I think of this service as asymptomatic. It fell in harmoniously with the man and his way of reviewing things. He did this thing, not intermittently, but naturally, easily, regularly, and constantly, because it was a part of his plan and purpose and he purposed it for the simple reason that he thought it would contribute toward an object in which he had an abiding interest. This interest in the life and welfare of the church was a motive power in his life, which made itself manifest in all times, in a variety of ways and with increasing clearness, no doubt, until he was called away. Probably Mr. Smith has been most widely known in these later years as a large money giver. It does not take long to find out such as one and to spread his fame abroad. But money-giving was not the thing which chiefly characterized him when I first made his acquaintance. He had then but recently met with one of those downs, which come to the great majority of businessmen at some time in their career. He had, by great perseverance and energy, built up an industry with reasonable expectation of its continued success and increase the panic of the early 70s had made an assignment necessary. Misfortune tests men as truly as, and often more profoundly, than prosperity. This one was as a blow between the eyes to his plans and expectations. So far as I could observe or learn from others, Mr. Smith endured the failures of hopes and purposes and income as manfully as he had previously carried himself when everything was going his way. When he had prospered, he had given freely and also engaged actively in all the movements and enterprises which promised well for the church. When business reverses put it out of question that he should continue to give as he had been doing, he did not then, as so many under like circumstances do, withdraw his other various activities from the service of the church. His interest in the church's welfare did not vanish or abate. He kept on giving himself and his hand, his voice, his encouraging word, his hopefulness, all his influence. Whenever he was in town and the church had a service, he was present. The Sunday second service question came up occasionally for discussion, though it did not then assume the importance which it has in these later years. As many men, full of business cares through the week, wish to be free the latter half of Sunday, so did he. It was his opinion we should spend that after part of the day, more profitably at home. But because this was his view of the question, he did not, therefore, act upon it and remain away for the evening service. As a second service was always held, he made it his business to be there. He might vote with the minority, but he acted with the majority. A church can get on well with any amount of such difference of opinion, when in action there is unanimity. But he was the pastor's friend without special regard as to who the pastor might be. A man who could not command his support would be but an apology for a pastor, not that all men equally would commend themselves to him or alike secure his cordial cooperation, but that to the man who has the choice of the church and who was honestly trying to do the work of a pastor, he would be loyal. The pastor could rely upon Mr. Smith taking a lively interest in in any project which promised benefit to the church or the community. He could be sure of an encouraging response from him, for Mr. Smith was not overcritical, and never was hunting reasons to excuse himself from doing his part. And he made no great demands upon his pastor as a return for his support. Occasionally the church was referred to as Smith's Church. It was not so, surely in that he wished to be either captain or helmsman, There was certainly never a suggestion that he desired to unduly influence the action of the church or the deliverances of the pulpit. A marked trait of Mr. Smith's character, which always impressed me, was his equanimity. His business troubles did not furrow his face, nor wrinkle his brow, nor dull his eye. Speaking one time upon the worries of life, he said, When I leave the office for the day, I leave business affairs and cares behind me and do not carry them home. The ability to do this was, doubtless, due in a measure to a certain robustness of nervous organization, but as well to an acquired self-control. His firmness of nerve was shown when a painful operation upon the eye had to be submitted to, and he refused the aid of anesthetics. Taking the hand of a friend, he told the oculus to go ahead, and he passed through the ordeal without flinching. This was the excellent nerve, certainly but it was more than nerve, it was the cultivated Christian confidence and resolution. These were evident in the calm resignation with which he bore the bereavement when her precious daughter, to whom he was devotedly attached, was suddenly taken away. There was usually manifest in him an evenness of mind, a hopefulness, a buoyancy of spirits in circumstances in which many would have been distracted with anxiety." Mr. Smith was kindly and generous in his thought of others, even though there might be a certain amount of antagonism between them. One cannot pass through business troubles, such as have been referred to, without more or less friction, and without loss to some who have been closely related with him in business, and financial loss as easily brings down sharp and bitter words as a hard frost brings chestnut burrs to the ground." But Mr. Smith kept no record of criticisms, treasured no animosities, laid up no store of sharp words, and almost invariably referred to others in a most kindly manner. I do not remember ever to have heard him speak of a business or social acquaintance in an unbrotherly way. His heart prompted to kindly judgments and pleasant words. Mr. Smith had a great understanding and large appreciation of the great principle of stewardship, and he allowed it control. If there is any man from whom it is easier and a pleasanter task to give a gift for a good cause, I have not found him. A friend of mine, a former Wisconsin minister, said the other day, I have never known one from whom it is so easy and a pleasure to get a subscription for a worthy object as from Mr. Smith of Menasha. When I went to him one time, not knowing him intimately, he gave me more than I had expected to receive, and treated me as if I was conferring a favor upon him. There is plenty evidence of this sort. Now this was not because he did not know when to say no, or was so good-natured that he could be persuaded against his better judgment. He acted in accordance with his best judgment when he gave. High and true views, clear convictions, and a strong purpose were back of Mr. Smith's giving. He had thought the matter through, and had come to the conclusion that it was a Christian's business to distribute what he had to give to such objects as approved themselves to him while he lived and not to leave it for others to do for him after he was gone. He has said this openly and privately again and again. And so the benevolent habit grew upon him. It was a pleasure to him to give. No good cause appealed to him in vain. His benefactions touched friends and acquaintances and persons and interests all about him. They went forth on many lines, to long distances, bearing comfort, cheer, and hope, and the goodwill of a great-hearted man. It is always a matter of interest to trace a stream to its source. This generous giver delighted to refer the beginnings of his liberality to the foundation of a godly mother's love for Christian missions and her bag for benevolences, which hung always in sight in her own room. Would that there were more such mothers and more such bags for object lessons the world hath need of them. What a favor a mother confers upon the church when she gives it to a son, in whose heart she has instilled the spirit of giving, which is the spirit of him from whom comes every good gift. Mr. Smith acquired considerable wealth. That was good. He used his wealth so that he acquired in his own community and abroad a good name, which is rather to be chosen than great riches. That was better." By his use of his wealth, he acquired more and more of the spirit of the home to which he has gone. That is best. From Reverend Edward H. Merrill, D.D., ex-president of Ripon College. I but express the general conviction of those who knew him well. When I say that Mr. E.D. Smith was an extraordinary man, his gentle, and unostentatious demeanor doubtless led the judgment of some astray concerning the splendor of the man behind the manor. But the demeanor is but the close of character. The substance of it lies back in all externalities to be discerned by those who have the eyes to see, and to such there was much to see in Mr. Smith. It was obvious to all that he was a sagacious businessman, successful by the faculty of seeing the strong points in business combinations, and also by the skill and conscience which he put into his manufacturing so as to secure the best possible product at the smallest possible cost. He succeeded, not by forming combinations to crush out others in the same lines of producing, but by superior work and prudent economics, in which he challenged the skill and prudence for those engaging in occupation similar to his own. But his moral qualities were superb. He was a Lincoln in simplicity, by which he had an instant discernment of the moral element in all problems. His head was never confused in respect to the right thing in a proposed course of conduct, and he had the courage, in the face of all oppositions, or in spite of all sophistries, to do directly the thing he believed to be right. He never stopped to take counsel with fears, but quietly, wisely, and without ostentation, he went straight on, doing the duty of the present day in the fear of God. So he wielded vast moral influence, rather by what he was and the deeds that he performed, than by the words that he spoke. With him there was no paltering discussions about things permissible or forbidden in Christian and moral conduct, for his unerring moral taste led him surely in the midst of the mazes that confute so many who have only partly learned the lessons of the righteous conduct of this present life. In speaking of the moral traits of Mr. Smith, most persons would probably mention his benevolence and the use of his money. He was a remarkable and wise giver to good objects, for very few have ever done more than he or done better, when the amount of his wealth is considered. But here again, we find the real merit in the heart of the man. He was one of the few men of means, or of the lack of means, for that matter, who have learned completely the Christian lesson of stewardship. He counted neither himself nor his wealth his own. He held all subject to service, and in that service his judgments were clarified, his sympathies broadened, and his moral enthusiasms were enkindled. Many were blessed by his benefactions, but not less in the human love that went with all of his gifts. And this suggests a trait in which Mr. Smith was eminent, beyond the generality of even good men he had, and knew how prudently to manifest the milk of human kindness, was ever a more touching thing put into testament than this. A provision for the poor of his town in the time of their bereavement to assist them in the burial of their dead? He sympathized with the sufferings that were and those that were to be. But it is needless to name particulars further, for he had all of the qualities that gave him a symmetrical character, led him to a life of singular effectiveness and usefulness, made him an example to be emulated by all good people, gave him power in the councils of wise men, and for his commonwealth enabled him to set the style for those who love to bless their fellow men. Ripon College has lost one of its best friends and helpers, and honors his memory by attaching to one of its finest buildings, reconstructed as a result of his loving benevolence. I speak as one personally bereft when I ask, when shall we look upon his like again? From Reverend Joseph Collie, D.D., member of Wisconsin Home Missionary Board of Directors. Mr. Smith was a successful businessman. His success for the times in which it was won was quite remarkable. The qualities which win success were in the man. Even his prayers, though Reverend had a businesslike tone, they came right to the matter in hand with no waste of words. John Bunyan says that every tub must stand on its own bottom which in his way of saying that every man must stand on his own feet. Leaning was altogether foreign to Mr. Smith's nature. He was one rather on whom others leaned. This, however, did not prevent his leaning on the divine arm. Mr. Smith was a generous giver. Every good cause shared in his prosperity. And so the whole state of Wisconsin and the wider interests of humanity throughout the world felt the touch of his generosity. Yet his liberality did not always flow through public channels. In order not to seem to drown out the contributions of the church to which he belonged, he gave in generous measure directly to missionary organizations. It is established that his gifts to home missions during his life were nearly $12,000, a large part of which was given to the Wisconsin Home Missionary Society, and the fountains which he thus generously helped to open in the backwoods of our state are still sending forth their refreshing and fertilizing streams." His gifts to the work of foreign missions is established at $13,000. Nor is it to be supposed that these two great causes were the limits of his generosity. Great hearts alone understand how much blessedness there is in doing good, even when the means are limited. Mr. Smith's life grew very rich in this blessedness in his later years. It would be a mistake to think that this habit of generous giving came to him without effort and self-denial. The rose springs from the thorn bush. Even love itself must struggle and suffer on earth if it would find the joy of heaven. The crown is reached through cross and the paradise of victory through the wreath of thorns. The supreme worth of such a life lies not alone in the good it does as it passes through the world, but that it finally fits its subject for the life immortal and triumphant. For Browning has well said, why comes temptation but for man to meet and master and make crouch beneath his feet, and so be pedestaled in triumph. From Honorable O. H. Ingram of Eau Claire, trustee of Ripon College and corporate member of the American Board. I am glad to say that I had the acquaintance of the late Mr. E. D. Smith for a good many years prior to his death, in a business way and a social way, too. It was always a pleasure to me to meet him, for to me he seemed a wise counsel. The last time I met him was at the meeting of the trustees of Ripon College. He was very much interested in that institution and a liberal contributor to its support, and I think the management of Ripon College has done a wise thing in remodeling one of the college buildings and engraving his name on it as a memorial. I am glad to know that his sons have contributed to work done on that building, and my prayer is that it may long stand to commemorate his good name and interest in Ripon College. What he has done for Ripon College is only one of the many good things he was always doing to help those who were less fortunate in accumulating property than he had been. He always seemed to feel that the property he accumulated was to be used in doing good to others. As a corporate member of the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, he stood high as a wise counselor. His contributions to that board, as well as to home missions, yes, to all benevolent associations, were very liberal. He always responded when called on for any and all good work. He was a Christian man in every sense of the word, and his light will always shine as a beacon for those who knew him and professed to love his Lord and Master." Thanks for joining us this month as we read through the memorial of Elisha Dickinson-Smith. You can find this book at Monash Public Library in our local history section of the library.